Hello again, boxing fans. Welcome to the Neutral Corner, episode 108. I am Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine. And the new issue is out. I just haven't received it here yet in Los Angeles. Sometimes it takes a couple extra days to get out to us way out here in La La Land. Um, so the new episode or the new issue is out. February issue's out. Be sure to check that out in stores or on the Boxing Monthly app. Uh, a bunch of stuff to catch up on. I was out of town for a week on the East Coast visiting family, me and Tiff. And um, we posted the first TNC of 2018 last week. It was actually on the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. And some of you guys did not like the new look and feel. Some of you thought it was okay. Some of you thought it was great. Got some mixed reviews. Guys, we're uh, changing the look and feel a little bit as we go. It's going to be kind of a, a learning process, touch and go, and we'll, we'll try some different things. But you guys know that the goal with this show this year is to start taking in live calls and to transfer to more of a podcast slash radio show type of feel. But of course, I want to put my own spin on it. And one of the cool things about the Neutral Corner with TNC is interacting directly with you guys. So we're eventually going to be doing that over the phone. That's going to require new technology that we're still trying to get together and learn. It's, it's a lot of money and it's very time consuming to figure out how to make it all work in, in a way that financially makes sense. And the new mic is part of it, um, new computer technology and all that stuff. And the look and feel is going to change as we do that. But I promise you guys, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to listen to your feedback. I know a lot of you guys didn't like that I wasn't looking into the camera last week, so I'll do more of that. Uh, but I'm looking into a computer screen over here that you can't see. I got notes, and then the camera's over here. So there's a lot going on. And as we go forward and I'm taking calls, I'm going to have to go down here to the computer to take calls. So there's going to be a lot of different things happening. But it's going to be fun, right? All right, look, before I get started with uh, this episode, I wanted to take a second to ask you guys to check out a friend of the show, a friend of the channel's GoFundMe page. Joel Morgan is a diehard boxing fan that has been a big part of Montero Unboxing. Uh, he supported our channel through Patreon, uh, bought t-shirts. He's been an awesome, awesome supporter of the channel. And him and his wife are going through some things right now. <clears throat> and they just started a, me fund, a GoFundMe page. And I wanted to just make you guys aware of it, their situation. I'm going to put the link... Uh, in the video description, and I'll, I'll post a comment uh, below on the YouTube so you guys can see that. But um, Joel's wife, Christy, is going through chemo treatment right now. I believe she's in Seattle, Washington, and um, their insurance is paying for a lot of the, the medical costs. doesn't cover all of it, but she had to travel to Seattle to get this done. And I think it's like two months worth of, yeah, eight weeks worth of radiation treatment to kill the tumor. And this, the, the insurance only pays for so much. There's travel, uh, she, there's lost wages. She can't work, obviously, during this time. There's going to be a lot of recovery. Only Joel can work. Guys, Joel and Christy, they've been awesome to us. I want to ask you guys to be awesome to them if you can. Please go check out their GoFundMe page. Donate whatever you can. I've talked about it before on this channel, guys. We're boxing family. That's what makes boxing, in my opinion, uh, the best sport. It's a tight-knit group. We are a niche sport. We're not a mainstream sport. But the cool part about being in a niche sport is we're like a crazy, tight, dysfunctional, but tight family. So we take care of each other. So I wanted to ask you guys to check out Joel and Christie's GoFundMe page. All right. 
Let's get on to some news and notes. We got a lot to talk about. All right, so I'm going to start this episode off with another poll. I posted this uh, on Twitter uh, right before the Spence and Peterson fight. And uh, let's see, it reads, Thurman decision Porter and Garcia, Spence stopped Brooke and Peterson. Who's got the better wins? Who's the number one welterweight in the world right now? And so far, over 350 of you have voted, and over 70% of you say Errol Spence. Now, obviously, I'm going to be talking a lot about Errol Spence later in this episode as we review his win over Lamont Peterson uh, last Saturday in New York. But uh, I understand why a lot of you out there feel he's the number one welterweight right now. Can you say he's the most accomplished? Yes and no. Two big wins for him, two big wins for Thurman. And, and of course, I know that Terrence Crawford just entered the picture at welterweight. And I, I specifically left his name off my poll and I just said somebody else. Because, look, Crawford, he's going to fight Jeff Horn coming up in the spring. He's going to grab that WBO title. He's going to be a player. But it's, he's brand new in the division. We got to see what he looks like. Right now, it's Thurman and Spence. Those are the two top guys, right? They both have two big wins. So for Thurman... It's Sean Porter, who had already been beat by Kell Brook in more decisive fashion, I feel, by Kell Brook. And it was Danny Garcia, who's a natural junior welterweight, who he decision, I thought, clearly beat Garcia, but it wasn't a fantastic fight, a fantastic performance by Thurman. So two decision wins over those two top 10 welterweights. Then you got Spence, who last year travels over to the UK, beats Kell Brook, I think was coming back from behind in that fight. I thought he was behind halfway through that fight. I had Kelbrook ahead. But he comes back from uh, from behind and scores a stoppage, right? Then last Saturday, completely owns Lamont Peterson, scores a stoppage. Now on the surface, those two wins look superior. However, Thurman did unify titles against Danny Garcia. Danny Garcia, yes, who was at junior welterweight, but was a proven fighter who has some good quality wins. We have to give him that credit. And for Spence, he was beating Brooke, coming off a loss, a bad loss where his face was shattered by Gennady Golovkin, dropping back down in weight, which is very dangerous to do. It's one thing to blow up in weight. It's another thing to cut right back down in weight after such a brutal loss. And then with Lamont Peterson, he's been very inactive. And one of the things I talked about in this show that nobody else talked about on any of the other shows, and I don't understand why, is the fact that Lamont Peterson had not fought a true prime elite level welterweight yet. Lamont Peterson simply hadn't. David Avenesian doesn't count. And the Danny Garcia fight doesn't count. That was at a catchweight. And as I said before, Garcia is a natural junior welterweight. So the two wins for Brooke look really, really good. I'm excited. But I still, by default, rate Thurman number one at welterweight, even though I probably would favor Spence to beat Thurman if they were to fight right now. But when you consider not just those two top wins, but all other credible wins Thurman has against um, B-level, second-tier welterweights, uh, guys like Colazzo and Coyazzo, is it? Colazzo, or it looks like Colazzo, but it's Colazzo, right? Um, guys like that. I think you have to write Thurman number one. He's been around a little bit longer, done a little bit more. So he's still the number one welterweight, and I got Spence right behind him. If they were to fight today, I would favor Spence, though. I know it sounds crazy. It sounds, you know, <laughs> moronic for me to say it that way. But 
you still got to respect what Thurman has accomplished and put him at number one. Now, everyone's saying they want to see these two fight right now, and I would love to see it as well, but I've been telling you guys, and I'm going to continue to say it, they're not going to fight each other till next year at the earliest time. If I am Al Heyman, Sam Watson, the folks at PBC, here's what I want to do. I want to get Spence back in the ring in a stay busy type fight this summer in Dallas in a venue that seats maybe 10, 12,000, or maybe it's a bigger venue, but you scale it down to about 10, 12,000, get Spence on a fight on network TV, whether it's Fox, CBS, whatever, this summer. And then you get, uh, Thurman's probably going to be back, I think in April, May, somewhere in there. Uh, His fight should be announced soon in the next week or so uh, by PBC. And then get him in the ring again in the summer. Get Thurman back up to shape, right? And then have these two fight on a late fall card, uh, November, maybe it's December, on Showtime, on the same bill. Take it to Showtime, take it to Barclays where you got that guaranteed uh, money coming in from that deal they have with the venue. And of course with the Showtime uh, franchise money coming in. And have them on the same card. Have Thurman fight in the main event and have Spence fight in the co-main. And have them announce right then and there their eventual fight next spring. That is the way this should be done. That is the natural order of things if I had it my way. Will it go down that way? Probably not. I hope so, but probably not. Either way, right now, uh, Arrow Spence looks like the goods. And like I said, we'll talk more about him later. First, some more uh, quick news and notes. For those of you who remember the show The Contender, the reality series that I think ran for three or four seasons on various networks. Uh, It started on network TV and then it went off to cable somewhere. I can't remember if it was ESPN or whatever. Well, apparently that show is coming back on the Epics Network, E-P-I-X. Epics has invested in boxing sparingly here and there over the years. It's kind of a fringe cable network. I didn't even know if they were still around. I think it's a movie channel like an HBO or a Showtime, just a smaller one. And I remember years ago, I mean, it's got to go back 10 years or more, they showed some of Vitaly Klitschko's fights over from Germany. I can't remember exactly which ones. I mean, it might have been this fight with Shannon Briggs or something like that, where they paid for that, for the you know foreign TV rights to show that, and you had to order epics to see that fight. Now, remember, they were doing free trials where you could go online and sign up for uh, free epics for a week. So you can watch that fight. And a bunch of boxing fans that I knew ordered it for a week so they could see this Vitaly Klitschko fight, then canceled it. So I, I don't know how this is going to work, but I do know that there's going to be 12 episodes. Apparently there's going to be 16 fighters on two teams competing against each other. So for those of you who liked The Contender, uh, apparently it's going to be a new and improved version. They're going to focus more on the fighters' backgrounds and stories and less on the wacky little reality show competition aspect of it and get right to the fights. Okay, um, since last time, a couple of heavyweight fights that I told you were coming up, uh, they've been confirmed. And they're both in March. So March 3rd, Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz, who have started their VADA testing program. Um, that fight's happening on, uh, they still haven't announced a network, but it's going to showtime. And that's going to be at Barclays. And then March 31st, Anthony Joshua and Joseph Parker. And that's going to be over there in the same arena that uh, AJ did a huge crowd of, I think, 76,000 against Carlos Takam 
late last year. So uh, from what I'm hearing, the, the Barclays tickets for Wilder Ortiz are already way overpriced. They might sell 10,000. And of course, AJ Parker will do over 75,000. So for all the talk you hear about from the talk already, you know, about AJ and Wilder eventually fighting that big super fight and Wilder's side saying it's a 50-50 split, shut up. It's not. And that fight doesn't need to happen in America either. It should happen over in the UK if it does happen in America eventually. And that's another one that's not going to happen until 2019. Mark, mark my words on that. Uh, if it does come here, it's going to go to Vegas because the big whales will prop up money. Okay, cool. Still, Wilder's not even going to sell 10,000 tickets for the biggest fight of his career, the biggest challenge of his career against Luis Ortiz. And AJ's going to fight Parker and do another 75,000. So... Look, the 50-50 talk, guys, obviously that's just fluff to kick the can down the road so they continue to negotiate this thing. That fight, if these guys are successful, and I do think they will be, I'll be talking about those fights obviously more in coming weeks and months. Um, that fight, it's going to be more of a 65-35, 60-40 split when it eventually does happen. Okay, another fight that just came together, Billy Joe Saunders, uh, off the win of his career against David Lemieux late last year, will be fighting Martin Murray. April 14th at the O2 Arena. Uh, for Murray, you know, since that TKO loss to Gennady Golovkin back in 2015, I think it took Gennady about 11 rounds. It might have been 12 rounds. Got stopped late in that fight. Uh, he has fought as low as 159 pounds since then. He's fought as, as high as 172 pounds. He last fought at 168 pounds against Armin Tarosian last September. Uh, he has no business being in a, in a title fight. He hasn't done anything to earn it, especially at middleweight. But um, look, for, for Saunders, obviously this is the kind of fight he was going to go right into. For all the talk about going to Jacobs or Canelo or Golovkin, we all knew that wasn't going to happen, especially Jacobs. Um, it's going to be this, this type of fight right now. And you know what? For him and Frank Warren, his promoter, to cash in a little bit off that big Lemieux win, I get it. Why not? The other guys that you're targeting, the money guys in the division, which is Canelo and Golovkin, their fight's going to be announced in the next couple weeks, their rematch. So that's on ice for right now. So stay busy. Fight a guy like Martin Murray, who has a name, especially over there. I think it'll do pretty good business. It makes a lot of sense. All right, now a fight that uh, is being rumored and a lot of you guys have asked me about, so I have to opine. Vasil Lomachenko and Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao at 140 pounds. Obviously, this is a ridiculous freak show type of thing, at least at this point. Apparently, Pacquiao, in an interview in the Philippines, I think it was a Filipino news outlet talking to him about uh, congressional stuff, and they brought up fights, said that they were, he said, they were negotiating a fight with uh, Vasil Lomachenko for 140 pounds. Lomachenko's manager, Igus Klimas, said flat out, no, the size difference is too big. We're not even talking about that. Now, Bob Arum, who promotes both of these guys, said that Loma will be moving to 135 this spring. He's probably going to be fighting um, for one of the 135-pound lightweight titles, uh, I think, in April or May. So that's where he says Loma's going next. So you're getting three different messages from, from three different people. But he did mention that it would be up to uh, Lomachenko and his father, if they would be willing to meet Pacquiao at 140 pounds at the end of the year. And it, I think, would be um, 
a pay-per-view? I don't know. I, I've heard the term ESPN pay-per-view brought up before by Aram. I don't see how this kind of a fight with Pacquiao, the last time he was on ESPN, the first and only time, uh, lost a highly debated, debated decision. A lot, it did a great rating, but a lot of people felt that it was a robbery, that he really won, and there was all this controversy. To go from that to not fighting for almost two years, and then or a year, at least a year, and then fight Lomachenko on pay-per-view, that wouldn't work. So if they did it on regular ESPN at 140 pounds, it could work. But right now, look, guys, obviously I don't like this fight at all if it were to happen. You guys know I want Lomachenko to stay at 130 and try to unify titles. And um, if he can't do that, fine. Go to 35 and start trying to win titles and unify titles there before jumping to 140 for some money fight with Pacquiao. But I also know how this business works. And I know that at some point, Aram wants to use Pacquiao to pass the torch to his younger guys. He wanted to do it with Crawford. Pacquiao don't want none of that. Against Lomachenko, he might get outboxed. I think that Lomachenko would beat him. But he's not going to get decapitated. I, I think Crawford would really, really hurt him. So perhaps he could use Pacquiao to pass the torch to Lomachenko. That's the way it's been done uh, throughout boxing history. The old generation passes on to the new. You look at what Klitschko did for the heavyweight division in Anthony Joshua last year. That symbolic passing of the torch. Even though Pacquiao would be coming off a loss and hasn't been himself for five or six years, it's a symbolic thing, right? When Lennox Lewis beat Mike Tyson, boxing diehards, boxing insiders knew that that was a one-sided fight that meant nothing, that Tyson was completely washed up. But for casual fans, it was a symbolic passing of the torch from one generation to the next. And it made Lennox Lewis a name for some people who didn't know who he was before that fight. That's what this maybe could be. However, let's pump the brakes on all that because it seems like every single year, Manny Pacquiao is going to go fight over in Dubai. He's going to fight this guy. He's going to fight that guy. He's going to be in Star Wars. He's going to be in Star Trek. You just hear all this crazy stuff, right? Every year, there's some new thing going on with him, some new soap opera, and it almost never pans out. So let's pump the brakes on all that <clears throat> for right now. As you can see, I'm still losing my voice after traveling for a week on the East Coast and being in snowstorms. Um, I just... I. Those kind of rumors and stuff, I don't like talking about it too much. So let's kill the news and notes for now, and let's get into the review of what happened last week. So on Saturday, January 20th at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York on Showtime, Robert Easter wins a split decision over Javier Fortuna, defends his IBF lightweight title for the third time. Easter improves to 21-0 with 14 knockouts. The scores were 115-112, 114-113, and one judge had Fortuna winning 114-113. Fortuna came in overweight, tried to make weight in the second attempt, and I think had only lost like four ounces, so there was no way he was going to make weight. He just he blamed it on the cold weather, and he couldn't train properly, which is absolute crap. Uh, he just didn't make the weight flat out. And a guy who was much, much taller than him, Easily made the weight. So uh, Fortuna also was docked a point in the second round for holding and hitting. A lot of people thought that Fortuna won and this was a robbery. And 
et cetera, et cetera. It's the typical rhetoric you hear with a close decision like this. I didn't watch this fight with laser sharp focus and intensity, but from what I saw, um, it was not the best fight ever. It was a fairly dull fight. So uh, I saw a guy, Easter, who has the title, who's the money guy, the undefeated fighter, the house fighter, do enough to outwork the other guy who came in overweight, I can't feel bad for him, and probably let it slip away in some of the late rounds. I thought a 114-113 score was just fine. And you know, if you look at it, if Fortuna wouldn't have been docked that point in the uh, second round for holding and hitting, what, this would be a draw. You know, so maybe you shouldn't have held and hit. <laughs> uh, maybe you blame the ref on for this one, but I really have no problem with the scores. I, I really, really don't. Um, but for Robert Easter Jr., who seemed to get a pass after struggling a little bit with Dennis Shafikov in his last fight before this one. For whatever reason, this fight really, really exposed him in the eyes of a lot of people. And they're seeing what some of us have been saying for a while now. They're finally seeing it. This guy just isn't that good. He doesn't use his size very well, his length very well. His father trains him. And we've seen these father-son trainer-fighter combos a million times. Whether it's a uh, father, an uncle, a family friend, whatever. It, it can get guys to a certain level. And Easter has gotten to a certain level. Where you know he's a top 10 lightweight. Maybe you can make the argument a top 5 lightweight right now. Maybe. Depending. I mean, we don't know what Garcia is going to do, if he's going to come back. Lomachenko is coming up. We, we don't know. But top 10 lightweight, certainly, probably top five. Okay. But elite? No. He's struggling with guys like Shafikov and like Fortuna, who he was so much bigger than, had so many advantages over, literally could have just boxing 101, beat them that way uh, to win comfortable decisions, maybe even set up knockouts if he used the jab correctly. He's not learning more, right? He's peaked and plateaued with his father. It's up to Robert Easter Jr. to make the decision to leave Ohio. I think he's a Toledo, Ohio guy, and I believe he trains out of Ohio. He needs to leave Ohio. He needs to come out west. I would recommend Los Angeles, but you could go to Texas and get really, really good work. And there's a lot of PBC guys down there in Dallas and Houston that he could get great work with. Um, some good things happen in those gyms with the Charlos and Spence. Or he could come out to L.A., but it won't be as friendly for him out here. So he's got other options, but he needs to go somewhere and get with another trainer to teach him more. He's only, what, 26 years old? Yeah, Easter's, Easter's 26 years old. He really, really could develop his skill set. It's not too late. He could turn into something here. He's got some skills. He's got some natural uh, advantages. The dude's 5'11", and he makes 135 pounds. He might top out at 140. He's never going to be a big power puncher, but with that length at 135, 140, he can do some stuff. He's never going to be an elite pound-for-pound level fighter, but he can continue to learn. But it's obvious the dude's plateaued. So, uh, look, he was dropped by Richard Comey, in his title-winning fight back in September of 2016, gave up way too much ground against Shafikov and Fortuna. No improvement. But for those of you crying robbery, look, Easter landed 130 of 567 punches for 23%. It's according to CompuBox. Fortuna landed 120 out of 487 for 25%. 
jabs. Easter landed 10 jabs in this whole fight. 10 jabs. Fortuna landed seven. Seven jabs. Now, here's the difference. Easter threw 184 jabs, and uh, Fortuna threw 46. So, I've told you guys before, in close fights like this, unless there's a knockdown or some brutal body shots where one guy's getting a lot of body work done or a lot of uh, good power shots, when one guy is jabbing a lot more or at least being more active with the jab, he's probably going to get the nod. That's just the way it goes because the jab shows ring generalship and control. Now, that's not necessarily the case in this fight, but when you look at these punch numbers, they pretty much landed the same number of punches and the fight was pretty much a draw. The difference was that one point that got docked. So I, I, this wasn't a robbery. I have no problem with the way that the, the judges scored this fight. And in the main event, Errol Spence improves to 23-0, 20 knockouts, with a seventh-round retirement win over Lamont Peterson, the first defense of his IBF welterweight title. For those of you asking about uh, <clears throat> drug testing, man, my voice is going. For those of you asking about drug testing, uh, and, and look, Spence is one of those guys because of the way he's built and because of his nipples and, you know, it sounds silly, but people are going to ask questions. It is the performance-enhancing drugs era. I get it. There was no VADA testing for this fight, but there was USADA testing. And both fighters were tested multiple times throughout camp. So there was some drug testing. Do I like USADA as much as VADA? No, but... You saw this much better than nothing. So I think everything was on the up and up, guys. And Spence has never been, um, he's never failed a test. So you can throw out accusations all day, but it's just accusations. You can you know, be suspicious all day, but that's not proof. Guy was tested multiple times for this fight, as was Peterson, who has failed drug tests before. And both guys passed with flying colors, at least at the time uh, I'm recording this video what's been reported by USADA. So Peterson was dropped in the fifth round and trainer Barry Hunter came in after the seventh round and uh, called a halt to the action. And he gave Peterson a round or two. You know, I think after the fifth, after the sixth, he's like, I don't like what I'm seeing, but he gave him a chance. I like that, you know, give your guy a couple of rounds, let's see what he could do. But the writing was on the wall. And I told you guys before, I've been saying it for, for a few weeks now, actually since this fight was signed, that, you know, this is one that looked really competitive at first, but when you really started to think about it, all the X factors I brought up, I didn't really see this as a competitive fight. Good, solid first defense for a young titleist like Spence, good opponent, professional, um, crafty fighter like Peterson, who's very experienced, hasn't been very active, but good quality opponent, good quality defense. But the fight pretty much went the way I thought it was going to go. I thought that the first round, maybe the first round or two, Peterson was going to show some angles, some spacing that, you know, gave Spence something to think about. I think he tried to do that, but nothing worked. He was simply in there with a guy who was so much bigger and stronger, more athletic, and could just punch right through him. There was nothing Peterson could do to keep Spence off. And by the second round, this was a completely one-sided fight and a beatdown. And I said it was going to be a wide decision win for Spence or probably, more likely, a late round stoppage. And that's what we were going to get. We were going to get a late round stoppage naturally if Barry Hunter didn't step in and call a halt to the fight. So good, impressive win. You know, 
This isn't to say that I'm not impre impressed with what Spence did. I am. It was an impressive performance. But the fight went like I thought it would, you know. So what is next? Now, for Spence, he called out Keith Thurman. It, what I love, he called Keith Thurman, you know, instead of one time, he called him sometime. I thought that was awesome. I thought that was great. And he really called out to whole division. But as I talked about in the top of this episode, it's not happening anytime soon. The best thing that PBC, Al Heyman, Spence's whole team can do is get him in the ring twice more this year. It's not going to be against big names. This is kind of the situation that Gennady Golovkin was in, in 2015, um, 2016, where... He was exciting. He was getting fans excited. He was knocking guys out. He was calling out the names. The names didn't want him, at least not yet. And for promotional reasons, political reasons, network reasons, all kinds of stuff, he couldn't get the guys he wanted yet. So what did Tom Loeffler and Gennady Golovkin do? They stayed busy. They kept fighting two, three, four times a year, right? And that built up the profile and it eventually got the risk-reward ratio in the right place to where Canelo Alvarez and Golden Boy Promotions wanted to step up and fight him. That's what you got to do if you're Errol Spence. Get in the ring again this summer. It needs to be in Dallas. The dude has fought, I think, once in Dallas. That is not, it, it's just not, it's not logical. He needs to fight again in Dallas this summer and then fight again in the fall. I think uh, one fight this year at least and preferably the Dallas fight, needs to be on network television. And so what if it lasts only two or three rounds? The fans there in Dallas, they don't care about that. I was here at the forum when Gennady Golovkin fought, um, who was that? I can't remember the mandatory, uh, Dominic Wade. The fight went, what, two rounds? The fans at the forum couldn't care. They were screaming, they were happy, they got what they wanted. That's exactly the type of atmosphere that Errol Spence needs to have in a fight in Dallas on CBS, Fox, one of those. And then you bring him back on Showtime at the end of the year against a top opponent, like I said, preferably on the same car with Keith Thurman to set up their future fight in 2019. That's what should happen. The, the, the ceiling is unlimited for Spence. 28 years old, five foot nine, southpaw, huge ceiling, right? Uh, should fight twice more this year. If that happens, this kid could be, depending on how things pan out, a candidate for fighter of the year. If he fights three times this year and scores three exciting knockout wins, does big ratings, sets up a big fight with Thurman next year, he's going to be a fighter of the year candidate. That's a big deal, man. So hopefully him and his team do the right thing. Also on the undercard, Marcus Brown and Anthony Peterson, Lamont's brother, uh, scored wins. And that's pretty much all that happened last week, guys. We got a couple of cards coming up this week. Let's get into the preview. This Saturday, January 27th in Riga, Latvia, at the Arena Riga. It's the World Boxing Super Series semifinals, the Cruiserweight semifinals. No American television for this, so find a stream out there. Oleksandr Usyk unifying his WBO title with Marius Bredis and his WBC title. This should be a fun one, man. Um, you know, a lot of people thought when this was first signed that uh, Usyk was just going to walk right through Bredis. 
I, I don't necessarily see that. I mean, Bredis is coming off two good wins last year. He had a unanimous decision win over Marco Huck in April, and then he beat Mike Perez also later in the year. Usyk coming off two wins last year against Michael Hunter, and then he actually stopped Huck. Uh, TKO 10 in September. So both good quality wins last year, but I really like the Mike Perez win for Bredis. All things being equal though, I, I mean, look at the tail of the tape. Bredis is actually two years older. He's 33 years old. Usyk is 31. Uh, Bredis is six foot one. Usyk is six foot three. And I can verify that six foot three because I've met Usyk. I'm six foot four. A lot of these heavyweights I meet, and cruiserweights, but especially heavyweights that list themselves at 6'5", 6'6". I meet him and I'm taller than them. They lie about their height. Usyk is a legit 6'3". He really is. He's a good-sized cruiserweight. 78-inch uh, reach, too. So he's a good-sized cruiserweight. But let's see. 13 wins, 11 knockouts. Bredis has 23 wins, 18 knockouts. I don't think either one of these guys is a big power puncher. But I do think Usyk obviously has all that amateur experience. He does have the natural size and strength advantage in this fight. And uh, stylistically, I just think he can box circles around Bredis. Can he get a stoppage? You know, I favor him to win a decision, even if it's in Latvia and the crowd's going to be going nuts. Uh, he's on enemy territory. Um, I, I, I don't know if he can get a stoppage. I think that'd be a hell of a statement. It'd be impressive to see Usyk start to develop professional-grade power. He did get the stoppage over Huck in his last fight, but uh, he, he doesn't seem to be a, a professional, elite-level, hard-hitting, hard-punching type of fighter. Seems to be uh, still fighting a little amateurish in spots and slapping more with his punches and moving as he's punching. You know, in the professional game, <clears throat> the professional game, you sit down your shot, you land your shot, then you move. In the amateurs, you punch while you're moving because you're just scoring points. It's not about hurting your opponent. So Usyk has gotten better with that, but we haven't seen him really, really sit down and commit uh, to punches the way other pro fighters, the other two uh, semifinalists in this tournament do. So I think this is probably going all 12. I like Usyk to win a, a comfortable decision, 116-112, somewhere in that realm. Um, if he scores a stoppage, I think that's a hell of a statement. I really, really do. Now, here in Los Angeles at the Forum, there's an HBO card from Golden Boy Promotions. I will be there. Hopefully, my voice will be better and my voice uh, won't be going out every five seconds. So, <clears throat> if any of you guys are coming to that card, if you're in Los Angeles, come say hi. Uh, be there. It won't be hard to see me. There's probably only going to be about 2,000, 3,000 people there. I, I'm not quite sure why Golden Boy Promotions put this card on at the uh, forum. Jorge Linares is headlining this card. He last fought at the forum in September against Luke Campbell. Remember that. There's maybe two or 3,000 there that night. Really didn't make much sense. He scored a split decision win over Campbell. Uh, dropped him, but struggled with him at times. It was a stylistic, uh, it was a tough match for Linares. But he's going up against uh, a Filipino fighter now based in San Diego, uh, Mercito Gesta, who if you guys haven't seen him, he was an interesting prospect. He was a guy that we were all looking at for a while, but he kind of flattened out. He got exposed a little bit in his lone title fight against Miguel Vasquez in 2012. It was pretty much, uh, pretty much dominated in that fight. 
And he's pretty much done nothing since to deserve a title shot. I have no idea why he's in this fight, uh, fighting for a title. Uh, Jorge Linares, this will be the third defense of his WBA lightweight title. And so for Gesta, he last fought in July at the Forum as well on that uh, Barrera-Smith undercard. He KO'd Martin Honorio in eight rounds. So how do you go from that to six months later being in a title fight? I don't know. But I like Jorge Linares as a fighter. He's, he's very fun to watch. Offensively, he does so many great things. Just beautiful to watch offensively, right? You got to rate him number one at lightweight right now, especially since Mikey Garcia wants no piece of him, it seems. Uh, Garcia, you know, was offered a flat-out fight, no options, 50-50, boom, one fight, one and done, and he turned it down. Linares wanted it, and I got to give Linares credit. You know, he has said that he is willing to fight Mikey Garcia, he said that he's willing to fight Vasily Lomachenko. And I think that fight might really be a possibility toward the end of this year. But some people out there want to say Linares is pound for pound. And they have him on their pound for pound list. Guys, I'm sorry, but when you look at this guy's resume, look at the opponents. If we Going back just to 2014, if we include Gesta, you got Gesta, Campbell, who, who I mentioned, uh, Anthony Krola twice. Ivan Cano, Kevin Mitchell, Javier Prieto, Ira Terry, Nohito Arakawa. That's not pound for pound. It's just not. So um, very, very impressive that he's traveled. He's fought over in Japan, the UK, America. He's traveled. I give him credit for that. He's a well-traveled fighter. He stamps that passport. He will take challenges in that respect. But he hasn't, and I don't know if it's him and his management, or if it's just the fighters don't want to face him, he hasn't been able to get those top challenges. So obviously I like Linares big in this fight. Um, Gesta has been, uh, not stopped, but dropped a couple times in recent fights. I think Jorge should be able to chop him up with his speed and his counterpunching and stop him late. Even if it's an accumulation, a corner stoppage, uh, they throw, throw in a towel, the ref stops it, even cuts, something like that. I could see that happening. But it could go all 12, and Linares wins a wide decision. Either way, I do think it'll be an entertaining fight. What's next for this? Or what's next after this for Linares? Is it Robert Easter? Can a fight like that be made? Robert Easter has called out Linares before, at least on social media. Uh, I'd be interested to see that. I would favor Linares, but I'd love to see it. It'd be unification. Could it be Lomachenko? If he does move up to 135 and gets a win in, in, in the spring, could, could a fight be worked out between Lomachenko and Linares late this year? Uh, Grandpa Bob, can he work with Eric Gomez and, and uh, Oscar De La Hoya and make that happen? I think they could. So there's options there. I'd be interested to see it. Also, Lucas Matisse fighting for the vacant WBA welterweight title against a Thai fighter, Tawa Karam, who is 38 in 0, 28 knockouts, but this will be his first fight outside of Thailand. He has never fought anybody with a pulse. So, looks awesome. Huge fighter. Way, way bigger than Matisse, who, remember, is really a junior welterweight, right? He's moving up in weight uh, recently. So, and then, you know, for Lenari, or I'm sorry, for Matisse, since that KO lost to Postal in 2015, no fights in 2016. Came back last year and KO'd Emmanuel Taylor. It was last May, TKO5. That was his first and only fight at welterweight. 
Now he's fighting for a vacant title. So, you know, this really, I don't really rate this as a title fight, especially in a welterweight division that's pretty loaded and owned by Al Heyman. So even if Matisse gets the win here, which he should on paper, if he gets the win here, I don't know what he does from here. I don't know what Golden Boy Promotions does with him because, as I mentioned, the division's owned by Al Heyman. The only other title would be the WBO, which is going to be in Bob Arum's possession with Terrence Crawford. So maybe, maybe it could lead to a fight between Crawford and Matisse. I would welcome that. Again, Grandpa Bob could work with Golden Boy. That could happen. But this TIE fighter, big, powerful, looks super, super strong compared to Matisse. Could he score an upset knockout? Could he? Um, could there be something here that we don't know about? Could he be some uh, unpolished diamond in the rough that we haven't seen? I don't know. But when you look at this guy's resume, it's complete crap. So he's one of these guys. Look, sometimes we get these fighters, whether it be from Thailand, and we always know the Thai fighters are tough. Thai fighters, Japanese fighters, they come over here. They're badasses. They're tough guys. But we get guys from Colombia sometimes, Venezuela, <clears throat> and they have these undefeated records. They look awesome. And they get here and, and they fizzle out and they turn out to be duds. Sometimes they come here and they turn out to be badasses. So we'll find out. That fight actually intrigues me for that reason. I want to see what this kid has and, you know, what Matisse really, really has at welterweight. He looked good against Taylor, but Styles make fights. He's going to be in there with a big physical guy that at least on paper has a lot of power. So it's going to be interesting to see. The Linares gets the fight. Eh, that's, that's an easy win for Linares. Not really interested in that. But the Matisse-Karam fight, that's going to be fun. And I don't think that one goes the distance. So I'm going to favor Matisse just on paper because of what we've seen from him that's proven. But there's that unknown X factor. Don't, don't sleep on this Karam guy because maybe the record is, is for real. We'll find out. So any of you guys are going to be there, let me know, man. Uh, holler at me. Come say hi. Let's have a beer. That's it for this week, guys. I'll see you at the fights.